Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Welcome to Whitestone Christian Fellowship. Our reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, and we're going to get into the uh, events of the post-rapture times as we look at the rest of uh, the whole end time scenario. The, <clears throat> the, these, are the, these are the things that the church is not going to be here for. This is Jesus' love for his bride, for his church, to let us escape from those things. Because as it says in First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, we have not been appointed to wrath. And wrath is a particular type of anger that is physically destructive. So that's what we have been taken out of the world as we looked at the rapture last week. Uh, we'll be gone and everything that's covered, yes, will be gone. We'll be, we'll be present with the Lord from that moment on. When we think of the rapture, it's an instantaneous event. But when we think of the post-rapture events, it is a process. One thing at a time, and it takes place over a seven-year period. So uh, it's kind of interesting to just understand that the Lord has something special in mind for his church, and that is to be with him all during this time. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with joy and anticipation of what your word will reveal to us about yourself, about your love for your people, your chosen ones and those of us that have been grafted into your, your family. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We, we ask you to continue with that grace, mercy, and that ministry of the Holy Spirit to all of those that are on our prayer list and those that are on our private prayer list as well. We look forward to what you have in store for us. We look forward to the day when we see you coming in the clouds and you call us home. We look forward to the, uh, the time that we spend with you under your protective care when everything is going wrong here on earth. Thank you for your, your thoughts towards us. We are so unworthy, and yet you do it anyways just because of our faith in you. Lord, we pray for all of those that don't know you, and we pray that they might come to know you. If they're not going to be taken off in the rapture, we pray that they'll have that second chance and they'll be among the tribulation saints. We love you and we thank you, Lord. We ask you to bless our time this morning. Uh, bless our time in our, in our worship, in the teaching, Lord, and in our fellowship afterwards. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you do for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I think we've used a, a larger portion of this for Sunday morning readings in the past, but we'll just read verses 23 through 25 today. 
As Christians, we do believe that we'll be out of here. As Christians, we do believe in the Lord's grace and his mercy, particularly towards his church. His forgiveness is available to all who call upon his name. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Can we see the day approaching? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. But in verse 24, it says, let us consider one another. Take into account what our brothers and sisters are, who they are, their personality, their attributes, their gifts of the Spirit. If you, if you hear of somebody that is struggling with a certain issue and you know somebody has gained a victory in it, you know somebody that has gained a victory, put them in touch. Consider one another to provoke, and this is, this is a positive way of using this word provoke, in other words, to enable the ministry of God's word to provoke one another to love and good works. First, consider one another. Think about the needs of the body. Think about the needs of your neighbors, whatever it may be. They don't have to be in the body. But then provoke one another to love and to good works. Love and good works is the follow-through. That's, that's the result of a strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, if we're, not in regular, if we're not in regular attendance, we don't know who our brothers and sisters are. We don't know what gifts they may have that we can provoke them to love and good works. You know, that's what, that's what fellowship is all about. Learning about your strengths, your weaknesses, those of your brothers and sisters. Finding out who's capable of doing what. Because the Lord supplies His gifts of the Spirit severally to each believer as he will, according to 1 Corinthians 12. Does everybody have all of the gifts? No. But everybody has some of the gifts. And so he says, as the manner of some is, don't, do, don't forsake gathering yourselves together, but exhort one another. To exhort is to encourage. If somebody's down, encourage them. If somebody doesn't know what to do, point them in a direction. That's encouragement. If somebody is looking for something to do, maybe you know what they should be doing. Exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is going to be a fearful day for non-believers. We see the day approaching. All the signs are in place. If you talk to <laughs> if you talk to anybody 
for any length of time, you'll find that they're worried too. Someplace along the way, they have either heard the story about the end times, they have heard of the scriptures, maybe they learned it in Sunday school when they were a kid, or they can just look around the world and say, oh my gosh, how much worse can it get? It can get a lot worse. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at how much it's going to be devastating for the world. Uh, turn to Second Thessalonians. We left off last week with, with 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5. <clears throat> and if we're ever wondering what kind of things we should be doing when we think we've done everything, the end of chapter 5 is exactly what we're supposed to be doing, but that's not even as we see the day approaching. That's when we don't know what to do, when we think we, we're all set, when we think we're complete. In verse 11 it says, Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. You're already doing it, but do it more. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. To know somebody is to be acquainted with them, to know them in an in a really close personal relationship. Know what, know what their gifts are. And if there's shortcomings in their gifts, maybe you have some of them. If they're over you in the Lord, and they admonish you. you know, and that's what God calls us to do. In Romans, Paul says, I know you. I know you are full of all knowledge and grace. And you are able to admonish one another in the scriptures. We're able to do that. If somebody's, if somebody's getting off track, admonish them if necessary. But you admonish in a, in a way that's encouraging, like Nathan the prophet did to David. Nathan the prophet described a, described a, a story and made it a parable and said, you know, this, this one little boy had a sheep and somebody came into town and took the sheep because they could, they could use it for a sacrifice, for a meal. But the man that came into town had herds and herds of sheep and he took the, the lad's one sheep and he said, what would, what would you do with that man, David? He said, well, that man is awful. He had all of those sheep, and he took the one that was dear to the boy. And Nathan said, that's you. You have all of these wives, but you had to have Bathsheba. You had all of these women in your life, your wives and their concubines. But you weren't where you're so, you were supposed to be, and your eyes were drawn to Bathsheba. <clears throat> so you conspired to have her husband killed, send him out on a suicide mission in the battlefield. And David repented. David saw the parallel. And he repented. That's, that's encouragement. 
to be able to let someone see their own sin in a gracious way is probably one of the best gifts that a person can have as a spiritual gift. And Nathan is the prophet. David's the king of, of the nation. So you tread lightly with the king. But even an underling can bring something forward to his supervisor, to his boss. If it's done in the right way, that's, that's being gracious. That's using parallel stories, analogies. It can be done, and it is done on a regular basis. It should be done in the church as well. So you're, you're to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now I exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but never follow that and but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and toward all men, not just the church, but to everybody you run into. There's just so many things that we can do to ingratiate ourselves with the people that are around us in our neighborhoods. And that's hard to do. If you find yourself living in a place where your neighbors are whacked. <laughs> where the people that live close to you are, oh, they're a little on the strange side. Well, they think the same of us. They think we're strange. You know, what goes around comes around. You know, the way you think of somebody else is probably real similar to the way they think of you. And so we need to kind of set those things aside, personal feelings aside, because they might be going to hell. And a word spoken at the right moment may be just what they need to hear to find themselves as your brother or sister in Christ. A word fitly spoken is what the scriptures tell us. He says, rejoice evermore. Put on joy. Be ready to rejoice in the Lord. Pray without ceasing. There's always someone that you can pray for, even if it's that guy that just cuts you off on the street and on the highway. Pray for those people. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. If you hear a prophecy, hold that person accountable that spoke it and look it up in the Scriptures and see if it's true. Despise not prophesying. Be a Berean. They heard the teachings of Paul. They received them with an open mind. And then they went home at night and they checked out the Scriptures to make sure that he was right on the money with what he was teaching. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. That's accountability to God's word. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 
If you do all of these things, in the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, and I pray your whole spirit, body, and soul and body are preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is he that called you who will also do it. There's just something about this <laughs> this little passage here tells us that when we're doing nothing and we're looking for something to do, we're overlooking what God has called us to do. You know, what do I do to keep busy? Oh, I need to do this or that. There's a lot of distractions in this world. But when you're peaceful or when you're tired, start doing some of these things. When you think you've done it all, well, do it again and again and again. This is what Paul has told the Thessalonians. This is, these are his teachings. And 1 Thessalonians is a reminder of all of the things that he taught them. Some of it is corrective. Some of it is encouragement. And then he gets to 2 Thessalonians, where we are today. And apparently, there has been a forged letter that has come to the church. The church is off base. The church is curious about what's going on. Because what is in the letter is not necessarily what Paul has taught them. And so he starts out with his salutation, and it is an exact replica. It is a duplication of the salutation that he sent them in the first letter. So it's a way of Paul proving that, hey, this is from me. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's something about there's something about repeating something to kind of authenticate authorship. That's why we know that this follows First Thessalonians. That's why we know that Paul is the writer of First Thessalonians and also the, the writer of Second. So Paul is authenticating his letter here by using the exact identical salutation and greeting. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you. And he begins to paraphrase the third verse of 1 Thessalonians. He puts a new twist on it. Always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other abounds. You people are growing in the Lord. I've heard of it. It's reported among other Christian churches. And you, remember, you, you may remember that in Acts of the Apostle, I think it's in Acts 16, it's where Paul went to Thessalonica and basically he was run out of town. The Jews that were there ran him out of town and he fled to Berea. And he found them there in Berea, the next town on the road, much more receiving and willing to listen. But there was a remnant. There were a, there were a few in Thessalonica that believed everything that he said, probably because they were familiar with the scriptures and the texts already. 
maybe some of them were advocates from Berea. You know, just, hey, there's a speaker down the next road about six miles. You want to go? You know, we do that here. They did it there too. It's nothing new under the sun. We travel to hear good speakers, especially when it comes to faith, the issues of faith and belief. So you're growing. I hear that you're growing. Because your faith groweth exceedingly. Now, this little, this little body of believers here in Thessalonica, they would have been much persecuted by the same people that ran Paul out of town. But it's usually under such persecution that there's great spiritual growth. We've understood that in our own lives, that when we're going through difficult times, our faith seems to grow. We look to God to get us through the next day or the next week or the next month or year. We look to Him and we put our trust in Him because the Scripture says that He loves us and He keeps His own for Himself. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. It's as though if, if, if Thessalonica was a big family, then these would have been the black sheep of the family. Nobody would get along with them. Nobody would trust them. Some people probably didn't even want to do business with them. If they had a business of their own, it probably was just skating by and relying on other members of the church to keep them afloat. And all your persecutions, all your tribulations, you endure anyways, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Well, he continues on in encouragement and reminding them that they're children of God. They belong to God. And beginning in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. We beseech you by the fellowship that we have together. We beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together unto him. It was just in chapter 4 of the previous letter that he talked to them about the rapture of the church. So he says, I beseech you, brethren, get your story straight. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming and we're going to be gathered together unto him. So he's talking about the rapture and he says that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word. If you hear something, if you're, if you're feeling something in the spirit, if you hear something among, that comes down, your, uh, down among your friends or other Christians, it says, nor by letter as from me. 
So they have received a forged letter. Somebody was making believe that they were Paul. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. What does that tell us? It tells us that there will be men out to deceive even the church. Filling us with false information or outright lies. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. The letter apparently was telling them that the day of the Lord had already come, and the persecution that the church was going through was the Great Tribulation. But the Great Tribulation is worldwide. It's not just in Thessalonica. The Great Tribulation is all of the earth. So let no man deceive you, for that day shall not come except there being a falling away first, a falling away of the church, the apostasy of Christians. Now he's talking about the day of the Lord, but he's talking about the rapture of the church. Before the rapture of the church, there's going to be a falling away. We're seeing that now. Christian churches are failing among the big mainstream denominations. They're struggling. And why is that? Because they no longer preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching a social gospel. They're preaching a social justice gospel. They're doing everything they can but the Word of God. They're avoiding the Word of God. There's In Florida, a couple of years ago, I, I went to an Episcopal church with my friend. And the pastor was teaching. And he didn't even open his Bible. All he did was talk off the top of his head for 40 minutes. That's all he did. It was a crime because the people went away still hungry for the Word of God rather than just listening to stories about this priest's life. Now, some of it was testimony, granted. That can be encouraging. But no place did he even open up the Bible to tell them about how much Jesus loved them and cared for them and would protect them through difficult times. So that day will not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. The man of sin is not going to be revealed until the rapture. After the rapture even. That day will not come except there be a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition. This is where we can go to Revelation, and we can identify the 666 that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. The name of the man is Apollia or Apollyon in the Greek, which means a destroyer. This means a destroyer who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, 
showing himself that he is God. You know, if I'm going to just exalt myself, then I'm going to be in the place of the most revered spot in the temple. And this is the abomination of desolation that is spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Once that man of, that man of sin, the son of perdition, puts his own image in the Holy of Holies, and it's going to be the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. So right there we know that there is going to be a third temple built. Somehow, some way, during the first three and a half years, after the church has been raptured, he is going to begin to solve the problems, the financial problems of the world the social problems of the world, the leadership problems of the world. Uh, if we turn to, um, I believe it's in Luke chapter 21, the things of the earth, the important issues are going to be incredibly, incredibly messy. If we think there's strife between nations now, just wait till after the church is taken off the earth. In Luke 21, verse 25, it speaks of the return of the Lord in glory. This is not the rapture of the church. This is his second coming. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon earth distress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity. Uh, when something is perplexing, it's like you can't seem to do anything quite right because whatever you do affects something else. If we set the markets right in one country, well, then somebody else's markets are going down the tubes. If we make peace with a nation that's an enemy of another nation, then suddenly that other nation is probably our enemy too. There's no way of getting around this perplexity. We already see the perplexity that is going on just with our current presidential administration. He can't seem to please anybody. And even his supporters sometimes question his methods. But we can't argue with the results. It's difficult to argue with the results he gets. Is he a politician? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. He just tells it like he sees it. He's a business leader. He's made billions and he's lost more over the course of his lifetime. But he's a business leader. It's funny, it's, it's funny that his name is Trump because it says in the Bible when the last Trump sounds, you know, watch for his offspring. 
in the future. But perplexity, things that just are not going to go away easily, and there's no easy resolution unless the entire financial, social, and religious structure or underpinnings of our current world are done away with and we find ourselves with a one-world money system, a one-world social system, and a one-world religion. Everything we know today is going to be scrapped. There's going to be one marketplace. There's going to be one social structure. And there's going to be one religion. There's going to be a cashless society. I don't know if you read the news this week, but the citizens of Sweden all acknowledge the problems that they're having in the world these days. And they have all voted publicly to be chipped. The entire Swedish nation is going to take a chip in their right hand or in their forehead. When Scripture tells us that, when the Word of God tells us those things, you might as well just set it to mind that that is going to happen because God fulfills every word of His own statements. His promises, His prophecies, they're all going to happen. He's proven himself faithful in the past. There's no reason to doubt his accuracy for the future. And it's also interesting that Sweden is starting to do this now that for the past five years they have had open borders for Muslim quote-unquote refugees. You've probably thought of this yourself, but did you understand that you're only a refugee when you get to the next neighboring country where you're not being persecuted? As soon as you go beyond that second country, you're no longer a refugee, you're an immigrant. So when the people of Guatemala come up through Mexico, they're refugees in Mexico. When they come up to the United States, they're immigrants. And they have to be, it's really difficult to say that you need asylum two countries away. And it's also interesting that Mexico jails illegal immigrants. They've got no place to go. They can't stay in their homeland. They can't stay in the neighboring country. And to go south into Central America further would be self-defeating because the countries and nations to the south of them are just as bad. El Salvador, Nicaragua, cross Panama. You find yourself in Venezuela or Colombia. There's no good choices for these people that are fleeing for their lives because their dictator-like presidents and prime ministers abuse them all. 
There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon earth distress of nations with perplexity. The seas and the waves are roaring. Tsunamis, earthquakes, hurricanes, typhoons, the flooding that's going on. The seas and the waves are roaring. All it takes is, we're, we're seeing it in, in the Great Lakes. Lake Erie and, and Lake Ontario in particular. The water level is up so high so that they can keep shipping lanes open. Well, some of the shipping lanes in, in through the Thousand Islands are only one, maybe two ships wide. They need the extra depth. And so the water levels are high. But what happens when the water levels are high and the wind begins to flow out of the north or the northwest? Personal property gets destroyed. The, the, the waves, the waves are what is, is crushing people. The wind with the waves. The sea and the waves, they're roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heavens shall be shaken. That's part of the falling away. You put your faith in that big guy in the sky and your property is destroyed. We, we, we begin to worry, well, if God's not going to watch over us, how am I going to protect myself, my family, my property? How am I going to provide? If everything that I've put my money in is underwater, what value does it have? So there's all kinds of things at play. Men's hearts failing them. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. <clears throat> this is more of a description of the rapture than the second coming. In the second coming, in Acts chapter 1, <coughs> the angels told the apostles, you shall see him coming again. Just as you saw him leave. He left in the clouds. He's going to come back in the clouds. And when he comes back in his second coming in clouds, he will step foot on the Mount of Olives as is described. You can read more about this in Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38. Distress of nations, perplexity, wars, all of that. And we know that we can trust the Lord, but in the rapture, he doesn't come down out of the clouds. He calls us up to meet with him in the air. But at the second coming, he also comes in clouds and steps foot on the Mount of Olives and then goes up to the Temple Mount. where his throne, his rightful throne, is going to be. That's how we know that there's a third temple that's going to come and be built on the Temple Mount. How they're going to work it out is going to be up to Antichrist 
that son of perdition that is revealed. So when you see these things coming, look up for your salvation. Your redemption draws near. There's no, there's no escaping what Jesus has just told them as recorded in Luke. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. They're almost, they're duplicates of each other. Telling the story from a, di from a different set of eyes as another set of ears has has heard it. <clears throat> but it's all the same. Matthew declares it. Mark declares it. Luke declares it. And by the mouth of two or three, a thing is established in God's kingdom. When we continue to look at this, this passage in Second Thessalonians, When Antichrist, who is finally revealed, when he shows himself, convincing himself that he is God by setting up his own image in the temple, Jesus tells them in verse 5, through Paul, the Holy Spirit is speaking here, Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things? I told you this was going to happen. And you know, and you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Well, for the church, we're not going to know who this man is because he's not going to be revealed until after the church is gone. And as the Holy Spirit is the one that takes up an abiding presence in our hearts, according to John 14, then when the church is raptured off the, off the face of the earth, the Holy Spirit in residence in the church also departs. So the thing, the person that withholds, kind of keeps a check on the evil in the world, is going to be leaving. You know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, or controls, will let until he be taken away. So there's something here about the nature of the Holy Spirit. Paul describes him as a he, a personal pronoun. He's a person. He's not a, he's not a power. He's not a force. He's a person. It's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of the Father. He's already at work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Son shall consume, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now we know that from the rapture, if we look at other scriptures, we'll, we'll understand that 
the great tribulation period is three and a half years. Or, excuse me, three and a half years at the end of the great tribulation period is that time of destruction. The first three and a half years are a time when Antichrist will rule. And he will be the one that is lifted up and exalted by mankind. The Holy Spirit has been taken out of the world. He no longer resides in those left behind. And he will be the one that will establish this whole new system of one world government, one world religion, one world finances, all of it. A one world social order. And when it comes to the one world finances, finances, there's where the chip comes in. We will not be able to buy and sell without that chip. So someone that refuses the chip is going to be persecuted, arrested, imprisoned, and likely put to death because he won't go along with the new programs. And you can say it's programs or you can say it's pogroms. Pogroms like the Nazis used. You don't believe like like the government wants to you to believe, oh, great, here's a concentration camp just for you. Then the wicked one will be revealed, with whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. This whole new process of peace and one world government is going to be established in three and a half years. It seems like an awfully short time when we think about our own presidential terms being four years and how little so many of our presidents have been able to accomplish as far as their, their campaign promises in four years or even in eight years. So three and a half years is going to be a time of tumultuous change in the structure, the social structure of the, of the world. But it's all going to be beneficial, but it can only be accomplished when all of the old ways are scrapped and something new is put together. And that's going to be the genius of Antichrist who is really powered by the beast who in Revelations is the devil and Satan. His wisdom is not going to come from himself. Satan knows exactly what our weaknesses are. He knows what our problems are. He created them all. If he knows how to get us into them, he knows how to get us out of them. Even him who is, the, is after the coming, after the working, I'm sorry, Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, solutions. Everybody's going to see these wonderful solutions that he has for the world. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in the unrighteousness, the deceitfulness. They're all happy about the deceit that Satan is perpetrating upon the world. God sends them strong delusion. <clears throat> they reject his word. They reject his son. They reject the truth. And so, if that's the way you want it, well, it's the Burger King story. Have it your way. Have it your way. Hold the pickles. Hold the lettuce. You remember that jingle from television and from radio? Have it your way. That's what God did with Pharaoh when Moses was in a contest with him. Pharaoh had all of the magicians come up and replicate all of the miracles that Paul did. But where do the magicians get their source of power? They get it from the dark side of the spirit realm. They get it from Satan. Does it work? Yes, it works. But it's a deceiving power because God is the only one that has the power to undo all of those things. So when Jesus finally comes again at the, end, at the, at the midterm of the Great Tribulation period, three and a half years in, he begins to set things aright and the scriptures are true. He begins with the coming of his, his return to the earth with the saints. Revelation 19. We don't hear of the church in the book of Revelation from chapter 4, after chapter 4, verse 1, until midway through chapter 19. There's no mention of the church. If you want to know what's going to be going on on the earth, while during the time that we're in heaven with the Lord, you can read chapters 5 through chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. It'll tell you all about it. There are horrendous things going on. A third of mankind gone. Diseases. Pestilences. Serious, serious social problems. All because the people chose to believe a lie. But we are bound, in verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, Beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and a belief in the truth. Your faith is real. You're holding on. You're not looking for man to solve your problems. You're looking and waiting patiently for the coming of our Lord. Wherein He called you by our gospel. You heard the message of the gospel and you believed. To the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel's result 
in belief in the heart of an individual is all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Stand fast. You may remember Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the whole armor of God. God tells us in His Word through Paul's letter to the Ephesians to stand. We don't have to attack. We just have to stand. Stand up. Stand on the ground that's already been won for us. Stand fast. Don't be moved. Hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Whether you've heard it through the epistles or whether you've heard it from my teachings or from the encouragement from brothers and sisters or your church leaders. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. May God comfort your hearts. Our Heavenly Father, let Him comfort your hearts when all of this stuff starts to happen. Now, the church is not going to be here, but you know there's going to be some horrendous things going on just before the rapture. And we're going to wonder the same thing. How much worse is it going to get? It's only going to get so much worse for the church because God is in the business of preserving His own. Preserving his own. He's got a, he's got a hedge of protection around his church and only so much is going to get through that hedge. When God says that's enough, boom, we're out of here. In the twinkling of an eye. But his second coming is a process. Three and a half years into it, he comes. And at the end of seven years total, a thousand years of Jesus reigning on the throne is enough to remind us that His Word is true, His prophecies are faithful, and He will perform everything, fulfilling every jot and every tittle, like Chuck Missler used to tell us, Every jot and every tittle, every, every punctuation mark will be fulfilled. It'll be awesome. But the church is going to miss all of this that goes on on the earth. We'll be home with the Lord at peace. Comfort yourselves with these words as we see the day approaching. Exhort one another and encourage one another especially as you see the day approaching. The Lord is so gracious to us, and He's so kind, and He has nothing but our good benefits in mind for us. In Psalm 16, He tells us that He has a goodly heritage. That's an inheritance. That's a bloodline. That's a family that's something to belong to, to give us our, our, our identity. And the scriptures tell us that the Gentiles have been grafted in to that family of God. So take comfort with all of these things. Horrendous times face the world. We're watching them all begin to interweave and to be 
knit together so that the perplexity of nations is incredibly tight and you can't do one thing without affecting another. So, praise the Lord, we'll be gone when all of this collapses. We'll be gone. And I thank my God for that. I wouldn't want to live through that. But interestingly enough, the non-believer gets a second chance. The tribulation saints, which will be the Jews. In Zechariah it says, in that day they will have their eyes opened and they will see the one whom they pierced. It will be a nation that goes into mourning when they see what they have done and how they have fallen into Satan's trap. As late as chapters 16 and 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation, there are still Jews coming to Christ. God is not done with the Jews. He is not done. They are still His chosen people. The fact that he, take, he that they rejected him when he came and the gospel went out to the Gentiles, us, well, we are then like the bride. We're the bride of Christ, but we're like the second bride. God has not forgotten his first and chosen ones. I know of a man, he died last year. He divorced his wife. Married a younger woman, built a business, wealthy beyond anything you'd imagine. He has a, a huge home on Canandaigua Lake. He has another huge camp down in Springwater. He has a big multi-million dollar house down in Florida. He has a bigger, bigger house up in Macedon. But he never forgot his first wife. He supplied for all her needs. He gave her an income. In the midst of all of the rest, you probably won't even, you wouldn't even recognize his, his name. His name is Wally Kraft. He never forgot his first wife. And that always impressed me because he supplied for all of her needs even after he divorced her. She never had to work. Nothing. Well, now he's, now he's passed on. And now his current wife has all of these homes and camps that she has to dispose of. The company that he built, her children work there and oversee it, as well as the children of his first wife. It's an, it's an incredible picture, but it reminds me of how God is faithful to, to his first bride, the Jews. He's built up a bigger empire with his second wife. 
that the first wife benefits. Now, he's not God. But it sure is sweet to understand that he made a commitment the first time and he didn't go back on it. That's God with us. That's God with the Jews. He's going to do the same thing and provide for all those that are his. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask you to just go before us this week. Lord, give us the boldness to speak out, encouraging one another as we see the day approaching. Sometimes it's going to be a warning. Sometimes it's going to be just an encouragement or an admonition. But admonitions done in the right way are speaking the truth in love. Whether it's received or not, we're to give it. Whether people respond to us doesn't matter. You've called us to share the gospel, to share the good news that there's something beyond this life and this world. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth coming. There's a new Jerusalem coming. Father, we look forward to that day. But even before that, we look forward to being with you. When we meet you in the air, so shall we always be with you. From that moment on, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. How gracious and how merciful you are. Amazing grace that you would save a wretch like any of us, like me. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Go with us this week. Encourage us. Keep us looking up. Keep us alert to the things, <laughs> to the things that we hear in the media. Keep us alert for those media coverages of your prophecies coming to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving help among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for listening to this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the Sunday or Thursday Bible Studies or Observation Archives, check on the dates and times for this week's Bible Studies, or to contact Pastor Bob, simply log on to whitestonechristianfellowship.blogspot.com. That's whitestonechristianfellowship.blogspot.com. Or dial 585 924 88 Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Pastor Bob teaches the Word of God line by line and verse by verse every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob encourages all of you to immerse yourselves in the Word of God. From here in upstate New York, we are reminded daily that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.